0: good morning I'm Wimala and today is December 31st 2021 so New Year's Eve the cycle starts again for the year but for most of us life just goes on right uh, it, it's for some it can be truly a time for reflection uh, at the end of this year but uh, it can also just be it's might be just another day. And we have other days that we think of as more special for us to reflect over the year. Maybe it's your birthday. And today is uh, my dear friend Diane Brotson's birthday. So happy birthday, Diane. And uh, Bante Pemaratana, I think it's his birthday today. So lots of, lots of birthdays to celebrate. and I see Cindy Lackman. I have a, uh, my New Year's Eve early bird evening is with Cindy and her husband Bruce. And uh, we had the best time together about three or four years maybe now when we celebrated an early dinner together and had couldn't have been a better time. So we're doing that again today. So, that's we'll be we'll be reflecting over the years we've known each other and how our lives are changing, and just having a good time. So, um, that's what old people do. We have a really good time because we do it early and we get home early. <laughs> so, I also want to mention that Patty Erickson, who's uh, traveling right now to visit her t- kids who are. All over the country, but she's in Colorado, and um, that's where the fires are raging—forest fires. Well, they're not—they're not in the forest. They're burning up thousands of houses, and um, she knows people and lives near the areas of Sup- Superior and Louisville, uh, Colorado, where so much damage and so many homes. And Patty asked us to think about them and. Uh, put them I'd really like to include them when we meditate this morning and also she mentions all of the animals uh, who are who've been lost in the fires and maybe just lost because they're they're running around trying to find a safe place to be so please let your thoughts uh not just this morning, but let your thoughts be on those people and all those living beings in Colorado. So the world is certainly changing in terms of the effects of the weather, isn't it? So, um, I was thinking about Patty and her, her family and her travels last night, and again this morning reading about the latest with the fires. And then Patty sent me a message. So it was, our, our minds were exactly at the same place at the same moment. So I hope you're thinking about that situation in Colorado, so near to us. And I have other noble friends in Colorado. I'm hoping that they're uh, Sandy Engelman. I'm hoping all of the people I know there are safe and uh, have a, are having not so much uh, damage to their homes. We've just seen so much of that over the last year. So our thoughts are with you. I wanted to uh, read again today from Robert Thurman's book, Wisdom is Bliss. And I had a really hard time picking out the part that I wanted to read. There's a beautiful, uh, a very good section on um, Robert Thurman's comments about Theravada Buddhism, but it's in a chapter when I started looking at this chapter early on in the book, I thought, well, I can't leave out stuff before that. So this is chapter number three, and it's called Realistic Motivation. And I'll read a bit and I'll try to watch my time so we can sit. So, this tells a little bit about his backstory, so I think it's very interesting too. But then, uh, when he's, he calls it realistic motivation, is what we usually think of in the Eightfold Path as um, right intention. And motivation is, you know, is another word for that. So, this is from Chapter Three. Once your worldview is realistic, once you accept the evolutionary causality of mind and thus are aware of both the danger of letting it go in the wrong direction toward greater forms of suffering and the opportunity and so you're aware that there's the danger we can let the uh, evolutionary causality of mind go in the wrong direction towards even greater forms of suffering and there's the opportunity to make it go in the right way toward greater happiness and bliss for self and others. Then you are motivated to find the shortest, quickest way to the best, the unexcelled supreme good. Your realistic motivation, simply put, is to become fully awake. So that's his first... uh his first statement about realistic intention or uh, realistic motivation. So the first is, simply put, to become fully awake. Go all the way. When I was younger, I remember feeling alienated from my family, friends, and schoolmates. I knew I had a special purpose, but no one could help me find out what it was. Others tried to impose what they thought it should be according to what they thought I was and who I should be. I felt like a stranger in a strange land, to quote the title of Robert Robert Heinlein's well-known sci-fi book. As Gondon, my perceptive eldest son, whose blessed purpose of his life ever goes mysteriously beyond mine, eventually said, Somehow, wherever we are, we are always wandering in exile. Maybe it is because I was born and raised in New York City, Manhattan, itself an island and sort of a concrete exile from the world, from the earth, except for the blessed Central Park. Both of my parents were nominal, non-church-going, for the most part Protestant Christians. My father had a soft spot for St. Francis, but did not go to church. My mother's Bible was the collected works of Shakespeare. I personally never had much love for the God concept, probably from the very time I was born, according to my mother. When I was ordained as a Buddhist monk and eventually returned from India and visited my mother in New York, coming from my local monastic home in New Jersey, She said to me, I should have realized you had become a Buddhist. When you were a baby and I took you to our brick church to be baptized, you were so disturbed and upset that you kicked wildly in your long white gown and knocked over the baptismal font and drenched the priest. He was so embarrassed that he just wrung a few drops out from his cassock on your flailing feet and counted that as your baptism. You were resisting the church from the beginning. A few years ago at one of the Dalai Lama's talks, when he said he didn't want people to convert from their birth religion to Buddhism as a religion, I reassured him from my seat next to his translator that I had not converted from Christianity to Buddhism, but instead had added being a sort of Buddhist to being a reasoned yogi seeker. In fact, Buddhist science ultimately taught me to take more interest in Christianity as well, in, in, as, well as in all other long-serving religions. Thanks to His Holiness, I now really th- love Jesus and Mary, Confucius, the Shekinah and Moses, Radha and Krishna and Sankara of the non-dualistic version of Hinduism, Laozi and Taoism, of course, and Islam, starting with the great Muhammad Qadiyah, Qadiyah Ayesha, Ayesha and then especially his Sufi successors like Attar Ibn Arabi and the amazing Rabia of Basra. I can even get along with God. I love that the Jewish sages, that the Jewish sages gave God a name, Yahweh, without vowels in it, so it cannot be pronounced. Well, I tried to pronounce it. Being on guard against their own arrogance of trying to control things by calling out their names. It's very interesting. When I first read the Buddhist teacher Nagarjuna's deep explanation of Sakyamuni Buddha's four noble truths, they hit me viscerally. Each noble truth, As, or as I like to say, friendly fact, was completely on target. I immediately realized that these four noble truths were my exact prescription for a cure, a fitting conclusion of my pilgrim seeker's journey to the East that ended up via India in New Jersey, just an hour or two west of Manhattan. The purpose of a human life, it became clear, is to attain that perfect freedom, that highest good. Imagine what a bad situation it is when a culture imprisons its members' aspirations by instilling in them a sense that there is no such thing as a summit of good. Just survival from meal to toilet to meal, waking to sleeping to dreaming to waking, from birth to death and finally to nothing. The Indo-Tibetan Buddhist science and civilization opened the door for me to a life purpose that suited my instinct that there is such a supreme good and that compared to it, no lesser life goal is worthless, worthwhile. So let me read that last sentence. The Indo-Tibetan Indian, the Indo-Tibetan Buddhist science and civilization opened the door for me to a life purpose that suited my instinct, that that there is such a supreme good, and that compared to it, no lesser life goal is worthwhile. The very highest good becomes defined within infinite space and time as perfect awakening and enlightenment, being Buddha, being blissful happiness overflowing outward as love and compassion and art that enfolds all the living in the golden light of abundant fulfillment and joy. It is the summit of the individual's evolutionary struggle, the loving drive to become a being of perfect freedom, perfect bliss, perfect wisdom, and perfect love, and the power to make it so for everyone else, past, present, and future, as well as for for oneself. As ever, the main revelation of the four friendly facts, or noble truths, is the third, the end of suffering, which is the prognosis for healing our illness of misknowing, misknowing or ignorance, There is a real nirvana, a blowing away, and such a free bliss nirvana is, and has always been, the actual reality of our life and death. When we fully understand it all, we will know and experience life as bliss, realizing that our previous suffering was only in error, not totally unreal, but ultimately illusory this nirvanic reality is still portrayed unrealistic by some dualistic Buddhist traditions as being a state outside of, elsewhere from, the world. A real state apart from the seemingly equally real world of suffering. In fact, that notion of a radically other nirvana is simply the irrational mistaking of a relative state for an absolute state. It is merely a projection from the misknowing sense of having an absolute self that is independent from everything else. I want to read that part again because this is about the no-self concept. In fact, that notion of a radically other nirvana is simply the irrational mistaking of a relative state for an absolute state. It is merely a projection from the misknowing sense of having an absolute self that is independent from everything else. So we are connected to everything. We aren't this we aren't an individual uh, soul or an individual being separate from everything else. If nirvana is somewhere else, it cannot be an absolute state. It cannot be reality. It's just another place, right? And if there's a state of being in nirvana that's separate from your being here, then it's relative and so unreliable or changeable. So Buddha, when he was being very logical, said to an audience, that could kind of take it. So an audience that had been uh, working a long time with the other ascetics were his first audience. Nirvana is reality itself and always has been, and therefore you don't actually enter it. You discover that you've always been in it. It's what you discover. In my own early learning days, I was certain that nirvana did exist as a place. It was a real turn-on for me, this possible freedom from suffering. But I also felt mistakenly that nirvana was located elsewhere, that it was a space outside, that the world was mere illusion, and that the idea was to get out of it and into the trouble-free nirvana that seemed to be out there waiting for me. This dualistic way was how I understood nirvana in relation to samsara, a term that refers to the karmic evolution-driven endless cycle of life, death, and reincarnation. I knew immediately, yet inexplicably, that there was such a thing as nirvana, such a freedom, perhaps perhaps a strong feeling came from a previous life. It was if, it was as if I always expected it and did not doubt it at all. But I did think of it as being elsewhere, as somewhere else to go, because I had a strong sense of feeling separate from everything. I wanted that separateness to be confirmed forever. I easily accepted the first noble truth, the pain of all the struggling of the seemingly solid, independent self versus the universe. Once there seems to be a real separation of self from the universe, then others seem really to be other, and we enter into conflict with them. It is when we lose that struggle that we experience the truth of suffering. The struggle is always about uh, the self and other, right? Seeing yourself separately. The second noble truth I also understood right away as pointing to the negation of the illusory sense of separate, separate self. But yet still wanting that separate self to become a selfless nirvana of a final apartness from the world around me. So he understood um, negating the illusory sense of separate self, yet he still wanted he still wanted that separate self to be apart. He still wanted to be apart from the world around himself. I was still selling short the third noble truth selling this one short, however, the one that's really true as a depiction of reality, Buddha's great truth, his great discovery. I so wanted it to be a final separation, a state beyond. By calling it a final non-dual state, I was able to ignore the fact that its imagined apartness was the final hideout of duality the duality between the relative world and an imagined non-relational reality located outside of it and apart from it, yet accessible to me. So he wanted it to be still something that was separate, could help him be separate from the world. This self-centric psychosis about nirvana does not get beyond the first and second noble truths. As long as one misknows reality, feels separate from others, and reifies the self as the real thinking, thinking that others are very different, then birth, life, death, and relationships are all unsatisfactory. They cause suffering." I need to stop so we can sit a little bit. But <laughs> I'm leaving you is a cliffhanger, right? So there's more to read. It's uh, this is very powerful. His his way of describing things I'm sure rings true for a lot of you, and it's uh, and it can be a, a lot. So we're we're I'm just skimming through this. So I hope you have a chance to read it, or maybe we can think of it as a book club selection at some point but um, I will finish reading that I've got my place marked and uh, I think it's really important to read it but I really would like to sit together to begin our sitting together and sending uh, sending compassion and loving kindness and let's let's uh, Let's sit, and I have a few minutes with you, and then you can continue. But let's practice uh, just being aware of the body breathing. And we're going to practice metta and compassion together. Just sending some good thoughts. First to yourself. Develop that feeling of tenderness and friendliness and kindness to yourself. It really needs to be uh, sincere. Not feeling sorry for yourself, but feeling uh, a wonderful friendship with yourself. That you really want to look out for yourself. Take care of yourself. Find happiness for yourself. You can't read anything about turning into the new year without reading about what a difficult year it's been. How, how much, uh, unhappiness and sorrow and disaster has struck almost every part of this world. It's samsara really showing itself to us. This is just the nature of the world. And yet we know we can find the right path through this world. That is our hope, that we can end suffering for ourselves by seeing clearly, seeing the world clearly, But let's focus on just sending those good feelings and those good loving and kind feelings to ourselves, And let's include compassion. Let's have that sense of really caring about what's happening to us and how we're feeling and what's going on with us. And what, what can we do to help ourselves Sometimes we have to just go through things, but we can do it with that sense of tenderness towards ourselves. And we recognize that we share the same. We are all connected to others. We're connected to the Earth and all living beings. So when we are going through difficult times, there are so many other people in the world going through difficult times. What can we do for ourselves? What can we do for others? I be well and truly happy and peaceful. May I have compassion for myself in the difficult times. May I make the right choices in how to care for myself during difficulties. Now we can extend these same thoughts of loving kindness and compassion out to our loved ones. May my loved ones be well and feel safe in the world May they know true happiness and be content. May they be at peace. And here I'd like to also send out compassion and loving-kindness out to everyone, all the beings, human and non-human, suffering through these fires in Colorado, through the areas of Superior Colorado and Louisville, Colorado, and all other parts of the state, May all beings be safe. May there be others taking care of them if they lose their homes, if they're sick. May they be free from fear. May they be comforted by helpers and friends and family. Just feel your heart opening in compassion to the people suffering in in this specific situation. then as we continue our practice, we can extend it out even further. From people that we may know, from cities we may have visited, from a beautiful state people love to see and travel through, We can just extend that closeness to us personally and extend it out to all places in this world where there are beings suffering. And may we have that tender heart of compassion. Helping us see what we can do. See where we can help. And we always begin close to our heart. And let it spread out. May all beings everywhere be free from suffering and its causes and be free from fear and worry and anxiety and free from hunger and thirst. And these extremes we're seeing in our climate and the weather May all beings be able to care for themselves or be cared for by loving hands and loving help. All beings, human and non-human, all the creatures, all the animals, as well as humans, as well as unseen beings. So may everything we do and say and think today as we leave this calendar year and move into a new one be done not only for our benefit and our own inspiration, but be done for the benefit of all these living beings. We are all connected. Thank you. Have a safe holiday, and I'll be here Sunday.